Welcome to Bible study for regular people. It's just regular people studying the Bible. I'm Tana, and let's get started. Today we're reading Psalm 29. The theme is God reveals his great power in nature. We can trust God to give us both the peace and the strength to weather the storms of life. Verse 1. Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. Honor the Lord for his glory and strength. The alternative there for you heavenly beings is also you sons of God. Verse 2. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord splits the mighty cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon's mountains skip like a calf. He makes Mount Hermon leap like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with bolts of lightning. The voice of the Lord makes the barren wilderness quake. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists mighty oaks and strips the forest bare. In his temple, everyone shouts, Glory! The Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. One of my footnotes uh, reads that the cedars of Lebanon, which is referenced in verses uh, 5 and 6, the cedars of Lebanon grew to 120 feet in height and 30 feet in diameter. So a voice that could split the cedars of Lebanon would be truly a powerful voice. I think the key message here is not only did God create all things in the world, he can also destroy them. And that great power he uses on our behalf to help us. Is there any struggle any human could face in life that would seem like a big deal to a God that can create and destroy nature? Yeah, I don't think so. Now we're moving on to Proverbs. We are still in Proverbs chapter 10, and we're picking up now in verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Man, isn't that the truth? We try to seek good things from the world, but often they come with consequences. But when the Lord uh, chooses to bless a person, it doesn't come with consequences. Verse 23, doing wrong is fun for a fool, <laughs> but living wisely brings pleasure to the sensible. 24, the fears of the wicked will be fulfilled. The hopes of the godly will be granted. I'm going to read that one again. The fears of the wicked will be fulfilled. Wow. Can you imagine your fears? All of your worst fears came true. The hopes of the godly will be granted. To me, that seems like, an, like it is referring to the afterlife, but what do I know? Verse 25. When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away. 
but the godly have a lasting foundation. Wow, well, isn't that interesting? We were just reading about God bringing uh, the storm, right? I mean, when the, the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation, and they don't fear they don't fear the storms because they know that the man who, the man, the being that created the world and brings the storms, that he's fighting on their side. Verse 26, lazy people irritate their employers like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes. Wow. Yeah, that's true. Verse 27, fear the Lord, fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. The hopes of the godly result in happiness, but the expectations of the wicked come to nothing. I heard somebody say, high expectations is just a setup for disappointment. And I feel like if you don't have God in your life, that is all the more true. Verse 26, the way of the Lord is a stronghold to those with integrity, but it destroys the wicked. Man. Isn't that the truth? To live in righteousness and walk with God, to pray and study scripture and just in all things live in under guidance of, of God is a stronghold. It says to those with integrity. I guess that makes sense because they want to live with integrity and that and the Lord helps bring that for them. But man, it's it's a hard way of life if you're just trying to find some loophole to getting your own selfish needs met. Wouldn't be worth it. Verse 30. The godly will never be disturbed, but the wicked will be removed from the land. The mouth of the godly person gives wise advice, but the tongue that deceives will be cut off. And finally, verse 32, last verse of chapter 10, the lips of the godly speak helpful words, but the mouth of the wicked speaks perverse words. You know, this whole chapter um, has had different verses on our, our speech these last two in particular, the mouth of the godly person gives wise advice. The lips of the godly speak helpful words. In contrast, it says the tongue that deceives will be cut off and the mouth of the wicked speaks perverse words. Man, how often can our mouth get us in trouble? We're now in the New Testament chapter 5 up to this point. Point. The day of Pentecost has happened. They all got filled with the Holy Spirit. They've been preaching everywhere. In chapter 3, Peter heals a crippled man. And then they go before the high council. And all of the believers are uh, sharing their possessions in order to take care of each other. So that all of the poor among them are also taken care of. So this brings us to chapter 5 where they have set up this um, kind of communal living style. Verse 1. 
that there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, told, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. So his issue was not that he kept some of the money, but that he then lied about it in his giving. Verse 5. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. I like a footnote on this. It says, even after the Holy Spirit had come, the believers were not immune to Satan's temptations. Although Christ had defeated Satan at the cross, Satan was still actively trying to make the believers stumble, as he does today. And this comment I really, really like on verse three, it says the sin Ananias and Sapphira committed was not stinginess or holding back part of the money. It was their choice, whether it was their choice, whether or not to sell the land and how much to give their sin was lying to God and God's people saying they gave the whole amount, but holding back some for themselves and trying to make themselves appear more generous than they really were. This act was judged harshly because dishonesty, greed, and covetousness are destructive in a church, preventing the Holy Spirit from working effectively. All lying is bad, but when we lie to try to deceive God and his people about our relationship with him, we destroy our testimony for Christ. I like this comment because this... I've never liked this particular passage of the New Testament, if I'm honest. It always has, has seemed rather harsh what lying is punishable by death, but... I'm still, uh, this this comment does not put me at ease with this part of scripture, I'll, I'll say that. But I had not thought about it from the angle of it's not just that they lied, it's that they were trying to make themselves look good through their giving. It was about the motive behind their deceit. That also reminds me of that king that gave himself credit for all of the wealth of the land. And then, of course, he had to have his reality check by being made crazy for a while. Um, I think time and time again, history has shown, not just in biblical history, but in more recent history, that when people try to put themselves on a pedestal they fall very hard 
And I think when you're trying to put yourself on a pedestal in front of believers about your relationship with God, that is incredibly, incredibly toxic. How many times have we seen in the news leaders in various churches, pick your religion, pick your leader, who talked a good talk and then it came out that they they weren't walking the walk. Unfortunately, there's horrible cases where it's, you know, child sexual assault are the big ones that hit the news. But then there's also ones like they're stealing from the church or, you know, manipulating people in the church all the while in public, making themselves look like they're holier than thou. And it's incredibly destructive. And and it says here, we destroy our testimony for Christ. And that's exactly what it does. Not only does it destroy Christ's testimony, but it, it destroys people's faith in ever turning to Christ again because they're so turned off by the humans who say that they represent him, but don't. All right, moving on in verse 12. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, six sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, The jail was securely locked and the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it could all end, where it would all end. <laughs> and they thought they'd ended it with the death of Jesus. That's what they're thinking right now. <laughs> Verse 25. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name, he demanded. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. <laughs> well, you were. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. 
We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Thaddeus who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his, his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from, the ho and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. A comment about Peter's shadow healing people. It says, uh, what did these miraculous healings do for the early church? Well, first it points out that it wasn't obviously Peter's shadow doing the healing, but rather just God's power. Uh, what did these miraculous healings do for the early church? One, they attracted new believers. Two, they confirmed the truth of the apostles' teaching, which would be that Christ really was the Son of God and really had the power to do miracles. And three, they demonstrated that the power of the Messiah, who had been crucified and risen, was now with his followers. God, thank you for... Your, your words, your scriptures, for guiding us and for teaching us how to live in communities with each other, to help take care of each other. As much as there is hostility around us, there's also good people doing very good things. I pray for the people of Beirut and for all of those stepping up to help them in this disaster. And I pray that you will send people to provide comfort and relief and to help individuals and to help their whole economy right now. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.